Good afternoon, everyone. Meeting. As many of you know, we have not been um, particularly diligent in the last year in meeting quarterly, which is what we should be doing, and we take full responsibility for that. It's been very difficult to schedule. But we have our meeting schedule put out through the next year, and I hope that you've picked that up as you come in and are going to be able to join us each quarter. We have regular meetings scheduled. I feel this meeting is extremely important, especially in light of everything that's been going on in the world and the disasters that we have faced, um, certainly not, albeit not as large as what's happened in Houston or in Miami, but we've had our own issues to deal with here in San Francisco. So I appreciate everyone's time today um, coming. I know you're all very busy people, and thank you very much, and I look forward to a very productive year. And I'm going to turn it over to Jason Elliott, who's Mayor Ed Lee's Chief of Staff. Jason. Thanks. It says 10 minutes for me on the agenda. I will not take 10 minutes, I promise. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason Elliott. As Anne mentioned, I'm uh, Mayor's Chief of Staff. I I'll, um, I'll keep my remarks pretty brief. I want to thank you for the introduction and for letting us be here today and participate in this. I know there's an important agenda uh, around uh, emergency uh, planning and, and response. I'll just say that this disaster council comes at an important time because it seems as if in the last few weeks and months uh, we've had occasion to be at the EOC for positive or, or negative things, and we've had policy calls, and there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of work that's gone on in the last few weeks and months, whether it was uh, political protests and the work that police and Rec Park and MTA and DPW and DEM and fire and everyone did um, around Patriot Prayer activities. Uh, whether it was the heat uh, waves that we've experienced and uh, all of the work that went into that on behalf of DPH, DEM, EMS, uh, fire, medical examiner, and others. I'll just say I'm, I and I speak on behalf of the mayor, very proud uh, of the work that the city departments did in preparing for those events, unexpected and expected, for the response in the moment, for acting professionally and heroically in the case of our first responders, 911 dispatchers, uh, and then for taking time immediately after and in the weeks after to learn from what happened. So, uh, you know, hey, listen, we got criticized a little bit in the news media for over-preparing for Patriot Prayer. Uh, I think that completely misses the mark. And, uh, you know, I, to the extent that any of you or your uh, department staff are reading any criticism uh, or second-guessing about what happened, I'll just say, hey, that's part of the business. But here in Room 200, we're very proud of the work uh, that went on uh, at the various departments to do your jobs, to do it professionally, to keep the city safe, to keep the people of the city safe. Uh, the city came together in a tremendous way, especially around uh, those, those alt-right uh, rallies. And uh, I see Tim here in the work that labor and community did to organize really peaceful, really powerful, inspiring marches throughout the city. Uh, Michael as well. Uh, thanks for doing that because that's what makes San Francisco San Francisco. And to the first responders that are represented in the room, Sheriff's Department, police on my right, fire, DPH, 911, everybody, uh, thank you for what you did. I know it's your job, but uh, that doesn't mean 
uh, that we should just take it for granted. Thank you for all of the work uh, that you did, the extra hours you put in in 106-degree heat, the late nights at the EOC, which the mayor and I were there for. Um, thank you for everything you did. Th this, this professionalism uh, and the grace with which you operated makes us really, really proud of the city. So I'll just I'll, I'll leave it at that, and thanks, uh, thanks for everybody for spending your time to come and participate in this today because it is very important. Thanks. Thank you so much, Jason. Uh, as emergency managers, we are constantly reviewing our plans, revising, and learning from real-life experiences. So what Jason just mentioned, that's what we're doing now. Nobody is perfect, and of course, we learn every time we activate and just, in my opinion, just keep getting better. Our first responders in police, fire, sheriff, health, um, and my own team at 911, and in emergency services have done an outstanding job and continue to, um, to really lead the city. So thank you for those remarks. Um, we should say that Mayor Lee would be here, but he is um, out of town with a delegation uh, in Cork, Cork. So um, we're having more fun here than they're going to have in Cork. So I'm, we're in the right place. <laughs> All right. Um, on that note, you're going to hear a number of presentations today. We've been very busy since we met last time, and we're going to give you a uh, um, very wide brushstroke overview of what we've been doing and then available to answer any questions if you have them. So I'm going to turn this over to my deputy director, uh, Mike Dayton, who's going to uh, report out on our emergency preparedness initiatives. Thank you. Well, thanks, Ann. Thanks, everybody. Uh, as Jason alluded to, we have been busy. And we've also been, uh, you know, I think as Michael and John and Jeff can attest to, much more aggressive and leaning forward and engaging our partners in the private sector and in the nonprofit sector. And I think that's paid dividends. Um, the first presentation we have for you today is our planning initiatives. And Lisa Starr-Lipper is going to give that presentation. Lisa? Thank you, Mike. Good afternoon, everyone. So I'm just going to go over at a high level four of the plans that the uh, Department of Emergency Management is working on right now with our partners. So first is our 2017 earthquake plan update. This update is going to describe the key responsibilities, the resource requirements, and the issues that are going to be addressed at the EOC and DOC level in response to an earthquake incident. One of the key features of this earthquake plan is that we're going to include a critical action guide which we hope is going to be a tearaway resource that you will be able to use to look at uh, actions needed in the first six hours, 12 hours, 24, all the way up to 120 hours. This plan is also going to have a roles and resource table that's going to show the earthquake responsibilities based on your agency and department. And then another aspect of the plan that we're including is going to be the essential elements of information. This is going to be the information that we're going to collect at the EOC level and the DOC level. So it's going to include things such as damage and injury reports, your status of your response operations, what resources you need, what are your current capabilities, and are there any threats to safety or public health. So we hope to have this plan completed October, November timeframe. We're going to run a several mini workshops that are going to include our essential emergency support function groups. We'll get them together probably at the EOC so that they can vet this plan. Uh, the next plan I have up here is our disaster debris management plan. This is a plan that they have been working on since August of last year. 
So we're working closely with Public Works, uh, San Francisco Environment, Public Health, Port, Rec, and Park. And this plan we're going to hope to have uh, done and submit it to FEMA and Cal OES by the end of this year, by the end of December. So by submitting this plan, um, having this disaster debris management plan, it makes San Francisco eligible to receive a one-time increase in the amount of federal public assistance funding for debris removal work. So I did a little research before coming in here this afternoon just to look at Houston and the counties impacted in Florida. So for Houston, it's estimated that it's going to cost up to $200 million for their debris removal. And in Florida, the counties that um, have been impacted, they're looking at de debris removal taking up to four to six weeks. So that just kind of gives you an idea of the challenges that these communities are facing. So the next plan um, is our emergency support function number six, um, which is the Mass Care, Housing, and Human Services Annex Update. Many of you in this room are actively involved with that plan, and I thank you for your participation in that. So this focuses on our emergency shelters, our emergency feeding, um, the emergency services and health and human services that we would be providing, uh, how to address the needs of unaccompanied minors, foster children, pet sheltering, and items like that. Let me put that down there so I don't go. So the other area that we're going to include in this plan, which is something new, is our mass care recovery that we're going to add. So what that means is we're going to now start talking about a shelter transition task force. When we get to the end, how are we going to task, uh, transition out of that? Disaster case management. We're also going to talk about interim housing options. And finally, financial assistance programs to the survivors. And right now, we did Yellow Command um, uh, Urban Shield exercise, vetted our plan and tested it earlier uh, this month or last month. I'm not sure Jill will have the exact dates. But um, so we do have some action items that we're going to take from that. And we're going to look at it. And then the one thing I wanted to add is back in March, Emergency Management partnered with the Mayor's Office on Disability to create a Disability and Access and Functional Needs Coordination Work Group. So we've met four times. And this work group is going to be one of the major components to vet this ESF-6 plan and the appendices that go with that. And then last up, uh, we haven't started this plan yet, but it's our 2019 Hazard Mitigation Plan. So this is a plan we're going to be working closely with the Office of Resiliency and Capital Planning. And basically, we're going to be looking at the natural and man-made uh, risk factors that San Francisco has, identifying some mitigation strategies, and then those resources to help with those strategies. And we have several, uh, let's see, work groups that we're going to be looking at establishing. And right now, tentatively, don't hold me to this, but the work groups we're looking at will be the asset list development work group. We're also looking at a mapping GIS work group, a mitigation action plan, and then a grant funding work group. And uh, planning for this, pre-planning has initially started. We're going to have a meeting later on this month, but officially it'll kick off in January, and we're hoping to have the plan approved by October of 2019. Thank you. some of the exercises we have on the slate and some of the exercises that we've participated in. And to do that, Jill Raycroft. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Please turn to page four of your report. We've got about three pages of exercises, so I'm going to hit some of the wave tops. Um, as we know, Lisa's group and others in this room that are in charge of our emergency support functions write very robust plans. Uh, 
In some cases, we are not able to test our plans in real incidents, so we have to exercise them and make updates. So I'm gonna go through some of the work we did in the latter part of 2016, what we've done in 17 thus far, and where we're going for the rest of the year. If we look at the top, we've got the Fleet Week Commodity Point of Distribution Exercise. This is an annex to our ESF-6 mass care plan. We tested this with help from the National Guard as well as the U.S. Marine Corps, and a lot of our VOAD, voluntary organizations active in disaster, are nonprofit partners in the Presidio. Leading up to that, for Yellow Command last year in September, we did a functional exercise in our emergency operations center. So we activated our EOC and worked to activate CPODs, commodity points of distribution, in the communities. As we move forward, we're doing biannual uh, DOC, Department Operations Center, communications drills. As we know, when we activate the EOC, it is essential that we can communicate uh, fully and completely with our DOCs. So we do that twice a year. As we move forward, February 14th, 2017, Lisa mentioned that we are updating our CCSF earthquake plan, and we began a plan and workshop series there. Moving forward, we worked with the private sector, the Giants specifically, on an exercise to look at command and control at the stadium. Epicenter is a two-day conference that happens every April. Last year, it was April 4 through 6. The first day, the VOAD led a very, very great panel discussion and TTX, tabletop exercise, uh, at the at the Fort Mason Center where we looked specifically at a lot of the lessons learned from New York and Hurricane uh, Superstorm Sandy, excuse me. The next two days we were still at Fort Mason. We looked at a lot of best practices around response, recovery, and resilience, which included some very, very interesting discussions with our ESF partners, our emergency support function partners, specifically around mutual aid, around mass care and transportation. Hard to do this with a mic, let's see. Moving forward, we did another DOC communications drill. We did a sheltering tabletop exercise this year in July where we looked specifically at ESF-6, emergency support function six, and a lot of the work that our local human services agency is doing in the sheltering realm. Again, we worked with the private sector for outside lands tabletop. After the tragedy in England at the Ariana Grande concert, Outside Lands reached out to DEM and asked that we help them work through a scenario similar to that. So it was a very, very good exercise. Moving forward for Fleet Week 2017, this is an annual exercise program. Um, some of our folks that run our public information in the city, they ran a workshop around ESF-15, which is Joint Information System. Then on August 29th, a couple weeks ago, we did an ESF-8, which is health and medical tabletop exercise. We had local, state, federal, and DOD partners in the room looking at what happens in a major disaster such as an earthquake in the first 96 hours. Vigilant Guardian Exercise Program is a UASI-funded regional program. It is a hazardous materials exercise. It is comprised of four uh, lead-up discussion-based exercises. This week, we had our elected and senior government officials exercise. The focus of these exercises is on preventative radiological and nuclear detection, PR&D, as well as consequence management. So we did four of those. We've learned a lot regionally and locally in San Francisco. As we move forward, we have the San Francisco Fleet Week exercise program continuing. 
On September 28th, we will be conducting a resource request drill in which our, some of our Department Operations Center partners will be requesting resources from the EOC, and then the EOC will be requesting them from Cal OES. Oh, thank you. That helps a lot. Um, on Sunday, October 1st, like we've done most years, is the U.S. Navy will be landing a landing craft utility uh, near Pier 50, uh, full of assets, specifically in this case, medical assets that will be driven to the San Francisco Zuckerberg General Hospital. And the next day, on October 2nd, tents will be set up, local, state, and federal, in one of the parking lots of Zuckerberg, to illustrate that in a mass care ESF-8 health and medical situation, we will need help from our partners. Moving forward, we have the Senior Leaders Seminar. October 5th, 4th and 5th, we will be talking a lot about uh, humanitarian aid and disaster relief, specifically looking at the refugee crisis that is hitting a lot of countries around the world right now. On October um, 1 through 4, we have another ESF-8 health and medical peer-to-peer -peer medical exchange. It is comprised of a first responder flyout. So on Sunday, October 1st, you can read here, selected government and private sector first responders will be flying out to a U.S. Navy ship to take part in the vessel's disaster response capabilities. On October 2nd, again, we have that full-scale exercise at Zuckerberg. EMS ride-alongs are a part of this. It's been really important for our military partners to do ride-alongs with our local EMS staff. And then we also have a summit or a seminar during the Senior Leader Seminar. It's a medical peer-to-peer -peer exchange. In this, we will have medical experts from local, state, federal, and DOD to discuss best practices. Moving forward, going back to Vigilant Guardian, that exercise program, there will be a full-scale exercise October 23rd to 28th. It is regional in nature. We have got uh, play in the South Bay, East Bay, and North Bay. And essentially, the first five days of that exercise are looking at that PR&D part of the hazardous material exercise. On October 28th, which is a Saturday, we will be activating the Emergency Operations Center in response to a radiation dispersal device, as well as an active shooter at the San Francisco Police Department Public Safety Building. Moving forward, we have another DOC communications drill. And then in November, we're excited to help host a volunteer organization's active in disaster, a VOAD tabletop exercise. And then finally, December 5th, we have evacuation and operation return. We will be looking at how do we move our disaster service workers into San Francisco following a disaster, as well as how do we move them around in tandem with how we get folks out of the city that need to go back to their homes. All right, well, thanks, Jill. Any uh, questions for Jill? And again, I mean, our training and exercise program is really designed to support you. So if there's issues that you want us to exercise or scenarios that you want us to exercise, please let us know. Because, I mean, the big picture is, I mean, we, we want to identify the gaps that we don't have the resources for inside the city and where we will get those with mutual aid. If we can't get those quickly with mutual aid, where would we get them from, from FEMA or the private sector or from uh, the Department of Defense, as we do in Flea Week? Uh, so next, uh, I'd like to just spend a little time going through some of the EOC activations and not to steal Bijan's thunder, but we have been on an active pace. I think uh, we're on pace to activate twice as many times this year as we did last year, and that's really a combination of factors of, you know, the world event trends uh, and the terrorist, 
you know, uh, using cars as weapons. So that's made us take another look at soft targets and mass gatherings. So not only have we activated for those, for those events, but we have actually done more tabletop exercise and dis discussion-based planning to make sure we were prepared. So, Bijan? The EOC activation is really where we get to take all the work that Lisa and her team are doing, all the practice that Jill is giving to all city agencies, and bring that together. And as Mike mentioned, we've been almost twice as active in the past 12 months as we have uh, typically because of things like First Amendment and also with the soft targets. So sometimes we have planned events and we have unplanned events. And for the planned events, we know they're coming and we can, as you would expect, plan for them. We bring all of our different city agencies together. We do some initial planning and sometimes even with the people that are going to be sponsoring them to make sure that key issues that some of our response partners may have are going to be addressed. We also do citywide coordination meetings where we bring everyone to the EOC and we talk through the expectations and we talk through a document that we put together called the concept of operations. This is how all the different city agencies are going to work together. And we also provide that CONOPS to uh, our electeds when it's a significant event, like Pride. We want to make sure they all know what's happening in their district. That document moves forward to when the event takes place. When we have unplanned events, we rely on all the work that we've done, all the relationships that we've developed to move us forward. So when the EOC activates, our real job is information coordination. We gather, we analyze it, and we disseminate it. And the way that we are pulling all the information in is through the representatives at the EOC. What's going on with your department? What's going on in the city? And after our plan section pulls it together, we get it out in several different ways. One are the situation briefs that go to a lot of the to the city leaders. The other way, and as was mentioned earlier by Jason, is we do conference calls, both with the city leadership and also with all of our elected officials. So they know what's happening when there's a significant event. We also are pushing information out to our public. We want to make sure that the public knows when an event comes up, what's taking place and what they can do. And of the 15 different events that are described uh, starting in, I think, on page 10, you can see how we have done each of these things in the different activations that we've done. And as Mike said, once the activation is over, we document what could we have done a little differently, let's make a change, and then let's improve our, our own operational capabilities. And so when everybody comes together in the EOC, that's the opportunity for all the relationships that we've developed ahead of time through the planning process, through the exercise process, to make sure that we can be ready to uh, address any of the issues that come up. All right. Thanks, Bijan. And I, I just uh, wanted to note, too, I mean, I, after Irma, we got the request from California Office of Emergency Services that they were trying to field uh, emergency assistance from the local level to support folks in Florida, and we were one of the first entities that the state called because, I mean, they know how robust our program is here, so it was a compliment to the work of Bijan and other folks in the EOC. So, uh, But lastly, on the in terms of emergency response times, I'd like to introduce our Mike. Mike or go ahead. You have a question? No. no. <laughs> All right. Rob Smuts is our deputy director and oversees the Division of Emer Emergency Communications. Uh, thank you. So um, uh, I'm sure many of you are aware we've had some challenges in 911 with staffing issues. Uh, in April, um, Mayor Lee, um, or actually May 2nd, uh, Mayor Lee issued an executive directive 
uh, to create the 911 response time improvement um, team uh, to look at uh, what we can do to improve um, uh, service as quickly as possible. Uh, our service standard is uh, to try to achieve to answer 90% of 911 calls in 10 seconds or less. Uh, in April, we were down to 66%. Uh, since then, we've made considerable progress. Uh, we were at 73% for May, 75% in June and July, 78% last month. Um, four of the last five weeks, we've been over 80% uh, and, and believe we're, we're there, hopefully, to stay. Uh, we expect to achieve our service standard by the end of the calendar year. Um, some of the efforts behind that, uh, the most significant has been um, uh, the uh, effects of a hiring initiative uh, that was really um, ramped up um, not this past budget approval, but the budget approval beforehand. It takes about a year to train uh, dispatchers. Um, other efforts uh, that have really been encouraged on by the uh, mayor's executive directive uh, have been coordination with uh, uh, with 311 um, to uh, transfer some calls that uh, are not dispatchable events to 311 uh, to, to handle that volume. Um, some efforts to get in some uh, immediate staffing support. Uh, the police department has uh, given us uh, two um, to police officers on light duty. Uh, we have some uh, light duty per diem people from uh, the airport and from other sources um, that have helped us with staffing uh, and some other measures uh, to, um, to boot. We're, we're working on a public education campaign, which should be kicking off uh, very shortly, uh, and, um, and some other measures in, in, uh, to, to continue the progress. As I said, I believe we will achieve our uh, service goal by the end of the calendar year. Thanks, Rob. I'll turn it back to Ann. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, team, for uh, the good reports. We have had a very busy year. Uh, are there any questions for any of the presenters so far? Uh, we're heavy on presentations today. Sorry about that, but a lot to say. Um, I'm going to turn it over to our city administrator, Naomi Kelly, who oversees the uh, Resilient San Francisco and Recovery Initiatives. And Naomi, it's all yours. Thank you, Anne. Um, I just want to start off with uh, there's a report that uh, Heather Green, our director of capital planning, will give, but I think it, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the Lifelines Council. Um, we've been uh, meeting, we've met twice this past, uh, in this current fiscal year, or not, I'm sorry, not calendar year, I should say. And it's been great. We have a renewed focus on restoration timelines. And so, as you know, the purpose of the Lifelines Council is to have interagency cooperation, not just with our internal uh, public sector utilities, but also with our private sector utilities. And we don't want to be at the table for the first time when an incident occurs and we don't know who to call. It came um, very handy with the April 21st power outage where we knew exactly who to call operational-wise within PG&E to get them on the phone and to um, uh, let us know when the restoration timelines would be up and re running uh, for the city. Additionally, we had an interpendency study that was presented uh, a while back about very important things and how we're interdependent upon each other, power being uh, very important, but also we've been focusing on access roads and fuel which is definitely needed to get uh, our city back up and running right away in transportation networks. Um, we, at the last Lifeline Council meeting, had PG&E come, which was over the summer, to give an update on their electrical capital campaign. 
and their assets of when they are um, going to uh, um, invest in their capital infrastructure, which is important to restoration timelines, and the time frame to get it done, and also given um, uh, lessons learned from the April 21st outage. Um, city staff has been meeting regularly internally with the public utility side, public works, uh, PUC, MTA, on just uh, looking at their own restoration timelines and their, and their time frame for uh, capital improvements into our own city assets. We've been working, uh, and we'll be talking to you, Mike, uh, you have an aggressive tabletop exercise schedule, um, and we would love to get a restoration uh, and recovery uh, tabletop exercise going when, when you find time. <laughs> But we love um, the Lifelines Council members love uh, the tabletop exercise, and it's good because, again, it is we bring the coordination of both the public and private utilities together. Um, but with that, uh, Lifelines is uh, we are we are about to hire. Uh, we're looking into the process of hiring a consultant to get real uh, to come up with restoration timelines where it can be a framework for all of the city, not just the public and private sector, to adhere to. And with that, I'd like to turn over to Heather Green, the director of capital planning. Thank you. It's a full table. Hi, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Heather Green. I'm the Deputy Resilience Officer and Director of Capital Planning here on behalf of Brian Strong, who wishes he could be here but is out of town. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to speak before this group. Um, a brief note, um, you've heard now a couple of times through this meeting about the Office of Resilience and Capital Planning. Um, since the last convening of this group, I think Brian's first day as CRO, he came to this session. And since that time, we have merged the Office of Resilience and Recovery with the, long, the city's longstanding capital planning program into one office so that we are thinking about all of our capital infrastructure from a resilience mindset. And we can percolate that through to all of the work we do with so many of your agencies um, as we think about the future of our physical environment, which ultimately, you know, provides the, the physical ground for our residents, visitors, and workers. Um, we have this resilient SF strategy, which many of you may be familiar with, and I'll use that to provide some structure for our remarks. Um, you can find that in full on our website at onesanfrancisco.org. Uh, the first of our resilience, we've made, you know, good news is that we've made progress against all four of the resilience goals stated in the Resilient SF strategy, which was published last April, April 16. Uh, the first is to plan and prepare for tomorrow. So certainly the work of this room right now is helping us to get there, but um, we also have published this spring the city's 10-year capital plan, which is a major cornerstone of those planning efforts. Um, it not only enhances our financial strength and um, fiscal position when we go to look to build projects, but it helps us to think about what it is that we need and to get a jump start on building those things. It is a $35 billion capital plan, the biggest in the city's history. It includes a $2.1 billion general obligation bond program, and the next up to go before the board voters according to that plan is a $350 million initiative to support, strengthen, seawall. Um, as part of the capital plan update, we also re-ran and expanded our HAZIS analysis. This uh, checks the seismic strength and uh, vulnerabilities of our public assets. The last run was 214 buildings, now we're at 239. 
And since we've uh, gotten the results of that, we've been looking at the list, trying to understand you know, where we should make sure we're dedicating our resources, where do we already have a plan, and where do we need to invest next. Um, again, all of that is, is on our website too, the plan in full. The second goal of Resilient SF is to mitigate, adapt, and retrofit, to pay attention to our built environment and strengthen it as best as we can. Um, I'm very excited to have this meeting today on the major milestone, a major milestone in our soft story retrofit program. Um, today's the deadline for tier three property owners to submit their retrofit permits. You may have seen articles about this in the paper. Thanks to the outstanding outreach efforts of DBI. We really wanna thank DBI, Tom and everybody, and Bill and Lily, everybody over there. You guys have done an amazing job getting the word out and keeping the pressure on through the press and through other communications, hosted an earthquake safety fair across the street here at Bill Graham that was very well attended. Um, so to give a sense, there are 3,510 buildings in this tier of soft story buildings. It's the largest tier. There are about 4,900 buildings across all four tiers in the program. Um, but. Uh, this is the largest by far, and as of Wednesday, which is the latest data, we had 78% compliance in advance of the deadline today, um, which is just out of the park for a program like this. So it's really exciting, and we're optimistic that we'll hit 80% uh, or more um, you know, by the deadline. Worth noting that just in the last week, 262 applications came in, which is more than double than the week before. You know, I've been trickling in all along, but. Um, really, the movement is good. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> You're right, <laughs> and a mailer and everything. So thank you. I'll also mention here briefly that we have initi initiated a study on tall bu buildings and seismic risk here in San Francisco. This will be a 14-month study, and the report will include recommendations about how we review and address the structural, but also the non-structural and geotechnical issues related to our tall buildings. Goal three in Resilient SF is to ensure housing for San Franciscans after a disaster. No small thing. <laughs> um, and, and I won't get into detail here. There are so many moving pieces and so many stakeholders. So much of the city is thinking about this issue, not only in regards to an acute disaster, but in regards to a, the slow moving disaster of displacement and, and um, unaffordability. So I'll just note here that our third navigation center opened on May 24th in the dog patch, the central waterfront navigation center is a 64 bed shelter that aims to help the chronically homeless relocate off the streets. Um, and then our fourth resilient SF goal is to empower neighborhoods and neighbor, neighbors and neighborhoods through improved connections. So a very people first goal. And uh, again, excited to report this time on the neighbor fest program. So this is the most colorful part of this meeting, I think. This here poster just to give you a sense of what this program is about. It is run um, with great zest and um, passion through the Neighborhood Empowerment Network. Many of you know Daniel Holmesy. Um, NeighborFest is a program that empowers neighbors to host block parties that directly increase the resilience capacity of those neighborhoods by, by laying deliberately the groundwork for them to come together during times of stress and provide the person-to-person -person support that we will need in the event of some kind of huge disasters we're seeing on TVs every day now. Um, permitting fees are waived for these events and the city provides planning materials, press materials, and so on. Um, and residents receive a bin of disaster supplies directly from Recology. 
And we get from these events increased neighbor connections, the enhanced organizational ability of neighborhood volunteers, and improved disaster readiness, broadly speaking. The first of these was actually held back in 2015. There were eight that year. This year, there are scheduled 35. The first was held at the end of August, and there's a big one coming up on October 7th in the uh, Warriors neighborhood uh, in the Bayview. And um, I'll just hold up again. This is something, it's no small thing. I mean, you can see here so many logos. So this is, there's city agencies and private, private partners as well, um, community partners who are helping to make these things truly successful, ranging from the tens to the hundreds of people. So we are really out on the streets, knocking on doors and trying to get people to come together because we'll need each other. That's my update. Great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Any questions? Okay. Hearing none, uh, this is the time that Disaster Council members can make announcements or talk about what you're doing. So I'm opening it up to um, any member of the council now. Yes, Tim. I would be better with the mic. So on behalf of the San Francisco Labor Council, I, I just want to let people know um, that, I mean, this is quite a fabric that the city has of departments and, and uh, committees and exercises and whatever, so it's pretty impressive. Um, we at the Labor Council are very, and in the labor movement in general, have been spending a lot of time with Florida and Houston and what have you, and it's, there's a lot of different strings that are attached. We're, I mean, we're sending nurses to Houston, and you know the Teamsters and the United Food and Commercial Workers are sending trucks out to both Florida and Texas, you know, with food, um, did want to point out that, and I know the fire department is here, but, you know, the firefighters and the iron workers and the operating engineers that, you know, know how to, you know, take care of the acute disaster of, you know, capital failures and, and building collapse is something we're all in. And so I just, I don't know who exactly um, in what department or whatever needs to say anything, but if you could do something more than engage, you know, just the head of the labor you know, council um, to be involved in this stuff, in particular the building trades and others, because we do have our fingers on this stuff. And so, any department that might be needing any of the any of the different um, um, professions that we represent of the 150 you know labor council um, affiliates, um, I'm just sort of putting that on the table, and I'm hoping that, the, in particular, the city departments uh, keep that in mind. Excellent. Thank you. Other comments or announcements? Yes. I'm Gina Castro-Rodriguez, Chief of Victim Services with the District Attorney's Office. We've spent the last two years preparing uh, 40 members of our victim service team to be trained and practice in responding to crime-related events, so any victim of crime events. Our staff will be nationally certified by the end of October, and we've been through multiple citywide, statewide trainings in order to prepare. So we have a multilingual um, trained staff ready to deploy and this year we'll be purchasing a lot of equipment on our side to be able to help victims with crime compensation crisis support and counseling and then long-term recovery whether the event is uh, local charged federal any of those scenarios we can work with victims of crime very good other announcements comments Ivar Satero, Airport Director, and we have our annual exercise coming up uh, early October. Uh, we do it every year. Uh, there's an FAA requirement that it's done every three years, but 
Uh, we choose to do it every year. This year it is an active shooter, uh, full-scale exercise. Uh, we'll be doing it at 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. as that's when we have a terminal available and uh, we'll be uh, fully developing this and we'll have our EOC certainly activated and would welcome any attendees at that late hour when the airport's empty. <laughs> it, it happens. <laughs> Um, and then another thing, we have an initiative underway about soft target protection uh, in our Terminal 1 program uh, as we um, re renovate that program and ballistic glass uh, to protect queue areas um, and column hardening uh, uh, plans as well. So we're working on initiatives around those, those uh, targets as airports continue to be a, a much sought after uh, target in the worldwide events uh, and terrorism. Thank you, Ivar. So, uh, Ed Riskin from the MTA. Uh, just a, a couple of related things. One is that we're on the verge of putting uh, new light rail vehicles into service, and part of what we are required to do by the state, our state regulator, is to exercise uh, certain security uh, issues and to document those as part of getting our, our final safety and security certification from the state, so with uh, great participation from the police and fire departments, um, that work is, is underway and, and getting completed. Uh, just a, a kind of reminder, uh, especially maybe pertinent given that this morning, as many of you may know, that there was uh, reports of an explosion on the, in the London subway. Uh, fortunately, it, what we understand is that nobody was seriously hurt. I think 29 people we understand uh, were injured, and again, fortunately, nobody's seriously injured. Uh, we also understand from working closely with uh, our local and federal law enforcement that there are no credible threats to us here uh, currently. Um, but just another reminder, along with all of the recent natural events, civil events, all the things we've had to activate our, our EOC for, that um, these things are always, uh, whether at airports or in transit or in our streets, always something we need to remain vigilant about. Well said, thank you, Ed. Uh, Director Garcia. I'll do it without the mic, but kind of gets here, I'll be done. Um, but in terms of the heat issues that, um, in coordination with the EOC, we're gonna have more days of heat, uh, we believe, due to the climate changes we're making uh, that are happening. So we are gonna really connect with this neighbor fest because what we're gonna need to really do, and we've worked um, in trying to push out information to all of our community-based organizations and working with the homeless department, Department of Aging, we really have to identify inbound uh, particularly elderly who need uh, somebody to be knocking on their doors and as we did with the homeless population during the weekend uh, putting out water and checking on people we tried to do the same thing with the elderly and also um, with uh, other populations um, doing this neighborhood approach um, they know their neighbors and trying to then make those connections and uh, really try to reach out to people because our infrastructure is not ready for heat um, and I'm not only doing that with the neighborhood piece, but even our, some of our buildings for our employees, mm -hmm. we're finding mm -hmm. some of our employees in 90 degree heat. Mm -hmm. So we're having to, I think we're gonna really work at first the neighborhood safety and then also we're really looking at our own staff safety as we're uh, going down this road. Mm -hmm. um, I wanna thank EOC and their coordination around this. I think it's a new territory for us and I think we are, we already see some really good progress in the way that we can uh, really connect some of these uh, efforts that we're doing. It's, it's matching really well in terms of that outreach. 
just to piggyback on what Margaret said. Um, could you, we were, please, we could you please identify yourself, Michael? You, Michael Pappas from the San Francisco Interfaith Council. Uh, we uh, used the precautions that were put out by the uh, Department of Public Health, and we were able to push that out to our 4,500 e-subscribers. And in addition to that, we worked very closely with the local VOAD and literally in a few minutes were able to sign up the Jewish Community Center as a cooling station. Uh, and given a little more lead time, we can look at other faith-based uh, facilities that might be good uh, prospects for cooling stations. Thank you. It's very clear as we move forward in our planning and exercising that we, the city, can't do this by ourselves, and it's our partners like the interfaith community and, um, and BOMA and Salvation Army and American Red Cross and, you know, others that it really takes the whole team labor to, uh, to be able to have an effective response. Um, other other council members there, and there will be time for public comment. Yes, uh, fire. Hey, Ed. good afternoon, everybody. Mark Gonzalez, for Chief Faith White, Deputy Chief of Operations. Uh, just three points, Tim. I could hook you up with our uh, technical rescue chair, Chief, regarding uh, building collapse. Obviously, that's going to be anticipated with the major earthquake. Uh, secondly, I'd like to share a letter from the Deputy Chief of Operations from the 1989 earthquake. One of his main concerns was, and I'll share with Naomi and Ann. Um, after the meeting was about equipped relief rigs. So when we have our um, recall, depending on how many ignition points there are, uh, we'll call in maybe the half of the next uh, workforce the next day in. Uh, what they experienced that day, everybody came in at once. Uh, they got on the relief rigs and they weren't equipped. We have uh, a good number of relief rigs now. We have 44 engines, we have about 60 right now, but we, we need somewhere to put them. In the interim, I think in a couple of years, we will have somewhere to put them when we move into our new ambulance de uh, deployment facility that will be Station 49. Uh, we'd like to get that done. Uh, and as far as the ignition points as well, I think this came up to the lifelines. Thirdly, Naomi, about PG&E said their connections were much more modernized as they should be since 1989. I think we need to reevaluate how many ignition points that we are anticipating to, uh, for our plan. Hello, Chris Connors with the San Francisco Zoo. Um, just returned from the National uh, Zoo and Aquarium Conference held in Indianapolis, just returned yesterday. And, and as you can imagine, a big topic of discussion was the impact on uh, the zoos and aquariums in both Houston and in Southern Florida. And as you can imagine, all the zoos and aquariums are, are uh, re uh, responding and, and lending assistance both financially and with manpower, and we're no different. Uh, we have decided to dedicate a portion of our sales for, the, for a, a, a short period of time to uh, the disaster reliefs for both uh, the zoos and aquariums affected by the, both storms. And we're really proud to say that we're about to send two staff members, uh, one from the animal division and one from our construction team. Uh, those are the two skill sets that they are desperately needing, uh, both in southern Florida and in Houston. So those, those folks are, are heading out momentarily. Wonderful, thank you. Other, yes, Angela? Jeff Rodenberg. Uh, to Heather, I'm wondering what resource that we can offer you and any, any director, uh, any department in the city is the uh, outreach advertising. So for the Neighborhood Fest, I'm not sure. We manage uh, 
the uh, advertisements that go out. We manage the contract with CAO Kelly and her office. So that could be something that could go out at least once a month for you. Okay, happy to help. And um, Angela Calvia is the clerk of our Board of Supervisors. Board. Yes. Uh, John Bozeman, BOMA. Yes, hi, my name is John Bozeman. I'm with BOMA. We represent high rise building owners in San Francisco. And you should know how appreciative our members are to be a part of this group. And I want to congratulate Director Cronenberg, the Mayor's Office, and all the fine departments here on partnering with us. Know that BOMA and commercial real estate is a resource for you. You want to run a drill on our building? Give us a call. I want to introduce Jeff Ellis. He's the manager of security at, at the Pointy Building that you may know. Um, and he's done a great job as BOMA's rep on the EOC. And we find that of great value. So I just want to say thank you. One quick announcement we have on October 17th. Um, we have a uh, emergency re uh, preparedness seminar we hold every year on low-level terror events. And if you want to come and learn what our industry thinks of that and how they respond, you can come as my guest. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. Other, uh, other comments from council members? All right. Uh, that was a very newsy report back. Thank you all. Is there any public comment today? Yes, Ken. Yes, uh, Ken Maley. <clears throat> Many of you here know me. I just want to uh, bring attention to a New York Times story that ran after the Texas and Florida events that was a recap of disaster management agencies around the country with the main point was that these events had motivated and, uh, shall we say, to a higher level of concern among disaster management agencies in states around the country. But I want to commend our city that following the 2005 Katrina hurricane that our former CAO, uh, Ed Lee, uh, reached out to New Orleans and established a relationship with New Orleans in recovery that has led to our being a step ahead of what I would think the rest of the country is now motivated to look at by having our resiliency and re advanced recovery planning. So that's my comment. Thank you very much for those comments, Ken. Any other public comment? All right, seeing none, I want to thank everyone for their time. Um, I look forward to our quarterly meetings, and thank you for everything you do every day to keep our city safe. Thank you.